0: if we can be more mindful and aware of these controlling impulses, which are made worse by stress, and we know that parents are really stressed right now, so just knowing that, rethinking how can I do this differently, that my child won't feel so controlled in this moment.
1: Hi everyone, welcome to the Parenting Translator Podcast. I'm Dr. Kara Goodwin, and I'm so excited because today I'm here with Dr. Emily Edlin, Dr. Edlin is a psychologist, a mother, and a parenting author, and she has just written a book about a concept called autonomy supportive parenting. And I'm really excited to talk to her because I think this concept is so important for parents to understand and to know how we can apply to our everyday lives. Um, So Dr. Edlin, could you please introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself and what kind of things you offer for parents? Hi, Kara. Thank you so much for having me.
0: I'm really excited to talk to you today. So I am a clinical psychologist, and I've always specialized in children and adolescents. My professional career has been working with children and teenagers with medical conditions, so I work in health psychology. But when I had a career crossroads a few years ago in 2016, I had three young children and I had been working in academic medicine my whole career, which is very rewarding and very intense and long hours, uh, a lot of stress. And I had an opportunity to decide if I would keep doing that or pivot. And I decided to pivot and started working in a private practice, which also gave me the flexibility to start writing. So it was that same time that I not only shifted how I was approaching my career and working with families, but I also went to my love of writing, which I had always had since I was a young child. And I actually, even as a young mother, decided I really wanted to write a parenting book. I you know, was living as a social scientist, understanding academia and trained in child mental health and child development. And I was still completely confused as how to parent my children. Yes. <laughs> so I
1: definitely relate to that experience. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Uh, So I took that opportunity in my life with this big change we had in our family. We relocated, my husband had a new job, and I decided to make that big change. So now I work in private practice. I still work with children with medical conditions, but that also includes very general child development and family stress that all families face. So I feel like I'm really plugged in, not only as a parent to my own children who are now eight, 11, and 13, but kind of just the daily modern stresses and issues that families
1: face today. That's amazing. I love when other, um, you know, quote unquote, parenting experts share that it's hard for them as well, because I think that's so true. You know, I thought before I had kids, like, I have a PhD in psychology, like this is going to be so easy. And like, I couldn't have been more wrong. So I love when people, you know, like yourself, who are such experts, like normalize, like, no, 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 it's still really hard. So you have this book coming out called Autonomy Supportive Parenting. And that's a term that we use, you know, we psychologists use in research. Mm -hmm. And it sounds very technical, but it's actually really important and really relevant to our lives, our everyday lives as parents. So can you describe what Autonomy Supportive Parenting is and why it is so important to us?
0: Yes, and I am so excited I have this opportunity with this book to really translate it because like you said, In psychology, we know this term, but it's really mostly stayed relegated to scientific journals and academia, which we know has a long history of not bridging well to daily life, right? Yes. So it sounds like a great idea, but what do we actually do, right, in our real lives of parenting our children? So autonomy supportive parenting, big picture, is the idea that we parent in a way that nurtures our children's three fundamental human needs, which is related to what's called self-determination theory, another kind of scientific psychology concept. But basically, it's the idea that all of us, all humans have three fundamental needs, autonomy, competence, and relatedness. So in other words, it's the feeling of knowing who I am and having the freedom to be myself. That's autonomous. Competence is that feeling of agency and mastery. You know, I've got this. I know what I'm doing. I have skills. I can be independent. And then relatedness is how it sounds that feeling of connection with others, the sense of belonging, the sense of I am in loving relationships, warm and caring relationships. So clearly, parenting and the parent child relationship is where that relatedness need comes in first. And then autonomy and competence kind of come from there. So that's the big picture, but what does that look like uh, in our day-to-day? Actually, the strategies have been studied in academic studies since the 90s. So this is a very well-established approach to parenting with a lot of scientific backing across ages. So toddlers, school age, adolescence, into adulthood. But what it looks like in parenting is a set of strategies that we're all actually very familiar with Things like taking our child's perspective, using empathy, giving choices, involving in decision making, transmitting our own values and making decisions guided by values. But the way it's kind of wrapped up in this framework in autonomy supportive parenting, I haven't seen really anywhere else in mainstream parenting guidance. And so, what I really was passionate about in my book is to break it down into real life dilemmas and things that we face as parents
1: like I mean, how does this actually look day to day to create an autonomy supportive environment i love this concept of autonomy supportive parenting and i agree with you there's so much research backing this up and there's not a lot of awareness in the mainstream parenting world so you say in your book that this can actually reduce stress which i love anything that helps to reduce parent stress so can you explain how using this style of parenting actually reduces stress
0: Yes. And I will admit that when we're shifting into it, it may feel a little more like more work or more effort. But the big picture is that when we engage in autonomy, supportive parenting, our relationships actually go more smoothly. So there's less conflict and stress in the home. And our kids are doing more for themselves. So it's a very simple, the more they're doing for themselves, the less is on our to-do list. So my daughters who are 11, 13 have been doing their own laundry for two years now. That is on their list of things to do. Less laundry for me, right?
1: <laughs> yes, good for you. <laughs> um, so maybe it would help to get like some examples, like maybe something that a lot of us have faced in our day-to-day lives, like of what, how autonomy supportive parenting looks in this, you know, the, the, what we face every day and how that's different from, um, uh, the more intensive parenting style or controlling parenting style that seems to have gotten more popular with time.
0: Yes. And so a huge part of the book is also taking on controlling parenting as the kind of opposing force to autonomy, supportive parenting. And we do, we are living in a culture that's really feeding the controlling impulses, uh, which can also be considered intensive parenting. So I could use an example from my life because I have plenty. Um, I share in one of my newsletters how last summer my my 12-year-old just kind of stopped reading and I just didn't understand it because I have always been a very avid reader and I love books, and I see the importance of books for kids And to always be reading, and she just sort of stopped reading. So the controlling impulse is, how do I make her read again? <laughs> how do I get this child <laughs> to do something I want her to do that I know is good for her, but she's not choosing to do it, right? And so my initial attempts at saying okay you need to read an hour a day over the summer and just create a schedule she's like yeah I'm not doing that you know and (laughs) especially at 12 she has her own agency for sure so then I had to shift gears into how do I take her perspective right of what this is like for her and also separate myself that she is not me, which sounds really basic, but I think we all fall into that, right? Of of course, my kid is going to be like me, but she may not love reading like I do. And I need to kind of work on that, that that's okay. And accept that is part of her right now in this phase that she's in. So taking her perspective, understanding her experience is always the first step with autonomy, supportive parenting to really understand what's going on for the child. And then you know, explain to her the rationale, the rationale for why I think it's important for reading to happen. And then trying to tie those to her values. So she talks very excitedly about going to college. And so I talk about, well, reading, the more you read now, the easier it is in high school, and that prepares you for college. So even though that's way forward thinking for her, that's important. Um, We also talk about how cell phones affect attention and that it's harder to read um, with that attention if she spends so much time on her phone. So there was this kind of involvement in, you know, collaborating with her around what makes sense for reading and giving her choices. I did not push the reading. I just kept talking to her about it when it was natural to talk about it. And then by the end of the summer, she read a full book in a few days, a book that was her choice And that she was excited about, and it felt like she was able to assert her own agency over that choice rather than doing it because her mom thinks she should do it.
1: Okay, so that's so helpful. So it sounds like you first took her perspective rather than imposing your own values and identity on her, and then you tried to find her motivation, and then you worked with her to collaborate and problem solve together. Is that right? Yes.
0: Okay. Okay. That makes
1: a lot of sense. So how would you apply this to a situation with a much younger child, like a toddler? Do you have an example from like the toddler world?
0: Uh, I could talk about one of my favorite parts in the book is a section on toddlers and screen time (laughs) and the the famous uh, tablet tantrums, right? That we all experience. So There's a great study called Screen Time Tantrums, and I love that name for the study. Um, But they basically found that what's happening is that parents are so anxious and guilty about using screens with their young children that we use them based on our needs and agenda. So when we need them occupied, we give them the tablet and then we want it to be as little time as possible. So we're not hurting their brains and development. We're operating out of that fear and anxiety when really then we interrupt their agenda to say, OK, time to stop. You know, it's dinner's ready. Put away the iPad. And then what follows, you know, the big explosion um <laughs> so instead even with these young children working on being having flexible language instead of directive language instead of put away that ipad now saying something like it's almost time for dinner let's think about when we're going to stop the ipad you know start to think about it and kind of giving them the warm up period and also not being as directive to give them the sense of agency understanding how hard it is for them to stop mid-game or mid-show to come to the dinner table and do something they don't want to do. So we're asking them to interrupt an enjoyable activity to do something they don't want to do. So understanding that's what it's like for them can maybe help us be a little more patient and strategic with them. And then giving them choices and saying, okay, and this even works with my older kids, you can be on there for two more minutes or five more minutes. And of course, like they're going to pick the five more minutes, but they, <laughs> but they feel like they had a choice in the matter. Right. Yeah. Um, so those are some examples of kind of coaching the younger children and understanding where they're coming from, even if they're.
1: Three and very limited in reasoning abilities and all those famous things about three-year-olds. <laughs> yes. So, again, it sounds like you're using the same steps. You're taking their perspective. You're thinking about their motivation, their agenda, not just your agenda, and collaborating and problem-solving together, you know, giving age-appropriate choices mm-hmm. whenever possible. Um, so that that makes sense how it can apply to, you know, the almost teenager down to the toddlerhood. So can you compare this style of parenting with what we might refer to as controlling or intensive parenting or even, I don't really like this term, but helicopter parenting Um, that seems to be becoming more and more popular? Like, How do we avoid that and why is that style of parenting not ideal for children or for ourselves?
0: Yes. So this is really fundamental to autonomy supportive parenting is understanding controlling parenting. And in our current parenting culture, there are a lot of forces pulling at us to be more controlling. So what that looks like when I say controlling parenting is really imposing our agenda, our values, our desires for how our children act and be in the world on our children. So it's both can be controlling behaviorally and psychologically, you know, who are they in the world down to how they act with their grandparents, you know? So it's that idea of shaping them in our own image. Um, And that includes things when we get down to the nitty gritty, like in the research, instilling shame and guilt, those are kind of the extremes of really harmful controlling parenting. But in the more mainstream, what I see all of us doing is things like um, high supervision and monitoring, you know doing things for our children that they are capable of doing for themselves undermining their own independence and confidence and just that kind of how we're curating our kids environments so carefully and trying to rescue our children from both stress and de-stress distress you know that The emotional pain I see parents trying to rescue children from all the time. And so this idea of we feel like we're protecting our children, but we're actually robbing them of the opportunity to develop their own skills and confidence in handling the world and discovering who they are. So when we are controlling our children, we're kind of undermining that skill development very unintentionally. We're doing this from very loving places. So if we can be more mindful and aware of these controlling impulses, which are made worse by stress, and we know that parents are really stressed right now, so just knowing that, um, and then taking those moments to take a pause, be aware, I'm feeling very controlling right now, <laughs> and take a step back, and rethink, especially the more familiar people can be with this autonomy, supportive mindset, and approach, rethinking how can I do this differently, that my child won't feel so controlled in this moment.
1: Yes. So that, that is so helpful. You know, I think for me, it's, well, first of all, I want to say that like this is such a natural human impulse to not want to see our children in pain. And um, I read a really interesting research study recently that showed that highly empathetic parents, this is really hard for. Um, And I think myself, I would fall in this category. Like I have a lot of empathy for my children and it's really hard to see them stressed or in pain but something I have to remind myself every day is that a little bit of stress is good. For, you know, not a lot of stress. Yes. We don't want to put our, throw our children, you know, into the deep end of the pool when they can't swim, right. so to speak. But we a little bit of stress is so good for them in building resilience. And even if it causes us as adults to feel uncomfortable, we have to push through that knowing that this is what's best for our children. Yes. Facing stress, is that part of what the, is that part of the goal of aut- autonomy supportive parenting?
0: Absolutely.
1: It's building
0: our child's confidence in their own skills, including coping, you know, that they can handle the hard parts of life. And the earlier we do that and instill that belief in them through our trust that they can handle these hard things. With our coaching, that is okay. We don't need to just say, oh, well, go figure it out. You know, I don't want to be too controlling, but really understanding their experience, being there as a listener and a helper, but not jumping in to solve the problem. I think, you know, towing that line is really important and those needs change with their development, how much they need us. And so it's also being aware of when we need to start sort of backing off as they get older, and trust in them. But it is a huge part of building resilience. And also it lowers the risk for mental health problems like anxiety and
1: depression. I love how you say, you know, framing this as being a coach rather than Mm -hmm. doing it for them. Like we can still be there. We can encourage, we can support, but not solving, actually solving the problem for them. So this has been so incredibly helpful. I love to ask my guests, You know, especially, you know, since you are farther along in the parenting journey than me and and maybe some of the listeners, um, if you could go back and tell yourself one thing about, you know, particularly related to autonomy, supportive parenting as a young parent, what would you say and why?
0: I would say that our children and our relationships with them are much sturdier than we give ourselves and them credit for. And that it's okay. Like all of our missteps, all the things we feel badly about, they're okay. You know, in the bigger picture of this unconditional love, and as long as we're conveying true acceptance for who our child is as a person in general, these like minor little details and hard days and difficult hours are really okay. I spent my years as a young mother, so overwhelmed and exhausted. And I still look back and wish I could be the mom I am now back then. But the great news is my kids and I have amazing relationships. I think they are the coolest people and it's okay. Like, I feel like it was a rough time. I don't think they even think twice about it. So I think it's (laughs) like, we're all going to be okay.
1: (laughs) Yes. That is so important. Like, we can make mistakes. Our kids yeah. can make mistakes. Yeah. Like we, it you know, none of us can do this perfectly. That that message is so important um, for parents to hear. So if, if parents want to know more about this concept of autonomy, supportive parenting, or to get some more of your incredible insights, where can they go to find you?
0: They can visit my website, which is emilyedlinphd.com. And uh, they can sign up for my Substack there and my Substack newsletter. I do a weekly autonomy supportive diary and really talk more in depth about autonomy supportive parenting and applying it to real life. And I'm also at Dr. Emily Edlin on Instagram, Twitter,
1: and LinkedIn, and the Art and Science of Mom on Facebook. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here. This has been so helpful. And thank you to everyone for tuning in to the Parenting Translator newsletter and podcast. Listen next week for more research fact tips for parents. Parenting Translator is a nonprofit organization, so all of these podcasts and the information they provide are given to you for free. If you would like to support our work, please subscribe to this podcast and rate and review it. Thank you so much.